Sonic States. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 86. Number 86 is going to be going live on Thursday the 15th of May 2008. Um, we're still clinging on to nice weather here in the UK. and uh, But more importantly, we have Mr PJ Tracy, who's fresh back from his marriage and honeymoon. How are you, PJ? I am still on cloud nine. I'm- are you? Are you sound very blissed out and kind of just sort of mellow. I feel is that- mellow. You loved up. I did. <laughs> Sorry, I know it wasn't the question, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, how was it? Any bears? There were no bears. Oh, um, I saw, well, I saw a carving of a bear, a uh, wood carving of a bear, and I bought um, for my wife, who is starting a new massage practice, a bronze carving of a bear. Ah, uh, okay. Actually, were a couple wow. of bears. Yes, but the the weather was um, was fantastic for northern Minnesota, uh, especially given uh, sort of the, the dearth of good weather that we've had lately. So it's, it was... So it was blessed. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And congratulations, and uh, may you long continue to be blissed out and all those good things. And thank you for coming back to us so quick. If I was you, I'd have stayed away for months. Uh, <laughs> I can't stay away. Ah, oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, Mr. Rich Hilton, also from the stateside, uh, from sunny Connecticut. Well, at least I hope it's sunny. Anyway, how are you, Rich? I'm very well, thank you. And it is sunny right now. It's beautiful. Rich Hilton, of course, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, where you'll see his activities on stage with Chic and uh, various other high-profile musical activities. Celebrated Mother's Day here in America this past weekend. That's just filled my... St- I just had butterflies then. Have I just missed Mother's Day in the UK? No. <laughs> Oh, God, no wonder my mother hasn't spoken to me for a few days, anyway. Uh, Mr. Mark Tinley from sunny... Cambridgeshire. How are you, Mark? Did I t- good? I'm very well. Did I tell you I am now a lord? Well, I did notice that you had Lord Mark Tinley, Mark Ty Wharton, in your uh, email um, headers, and I was I'm, thinking, are you serious? I'm serious. I'm Lord Mark Ty Wharton, KGC.OBE of Tinley. And wh- how? I bought it off eBay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> And who said <laughs> it was? Uh, it was five pounds seventy-five via PayPal, actually, and they and they sent me all my documents as PDFs via email, and I'm now a lord. I'm Lord Tinley. Would that actually stand <laughs> up in court? <laughs> uh, yes, it would. Yeah, it would. So, can you go to Parliament? No, no, because there's a difference between uh, a real a real lord and a fake lord. Yes. <laughs> it's another five pounds. <laughs> That's another uh, five million, I think you'll find. <laughs> oh, well, no, congratulations. I mean, I ha- and how have you found your new status? Do, do people treat you with more respect? No, it's a pain in the ass. I, <laughs> I tried to get some free stuff off Free Cycle. Someone was giving something away, a garden roller, nice old, you know, iron garden roller, and I emailed them and asked them for it, and they gave it to someone else, where normally people give me stuff on Free Cycle. So the curse, the curse of so, the aristocracy. So they probably thought, I'm not giving it to him. He can afford to buy his own one. Uh, well, if you can afford to buy a peerage, you can afford to buy a garden roller. That's what they think, isn't it? <laughs> well, Mark, um, it hasn't changed the fact that you're still myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. And also we have Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com, makers of fine musical instruments. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Jolly good. Glad to hear it. And um, let's move on. We've also got quite a bumper show this week. We've got uh, Mr. Non-Eric from Berlin, musotalk.de, purveyors of fine video broadcasting over these interweb thingy. How are you, Hans? I'm fine. Sunny weather in Berlin. Survived the Mother's Day. Everything's great. Hey, hold on a minute. I am paranoid about Mother's Day. So everywhere apart from England, it wasn't Mother's Day, right? In 2008, Mothering Sunday will be on the 2nd of March. You've missed it by a long, a long, long way. I was reading the, uh, the Guardian um, weekend magazine, I think it's Saturdays or Sundays, I forget which, and there was a piece in there about a, uh, a rap group called Syllable and Brains who apparently were sort of, well, they say they were big or, you know, bubbling under. And in fact, what they were were two Scottish guys who um, were ex-art students who um, 
who decided to kind of do a rap thing, and they they were quite good. You know, they had they had good words and everything, and they came down to London for a showcase, and they did it in the vernacular in their Scottish tongue, and they basically laughed off stage, and they went back and kind of this this irked them rather, so they came up with a master plan, which was to basically do exactly the same set, and do it with American accents. Now this proved far more successful, and they ended up being kind of taken on as kind of west coast skate punk rappers and kind of got embroiled in record deals with sony bmg and management and what have you and they kept this up for a couple of years until you know the under the pressure they just couldn't deal with it anymore that the sort of pretense was 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 just getting to them and they split up and it all went a bit wrong and they finally came out but they're from dundee and they're called uh, billy boyd and gavin bain they toured with eminem they partied with madonna you know they they did they kind of kept this whole thing up pretty sort of seriously and they say they would phone up record companies and say they were Scottish rappers, and obviously, the, and then the record company would hang up. So as a joke, they put on American accent, say they were here for two weeks, and straight away they said, "Come and you come and meet us." And the rest is history. Usually, I introduce one of these things with a clip, but I couldn't find any clips anywhere on this, so I don't really know um, if there's any records existing on the internet. But I'd like to find them. What did you think, Dave Spears? I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I did. I really loved it. And actually, I did. I trawled the entire net trying to find uh, some kind of audio proof of them uh, putting on fake American accents. But uh, there's nothing. Maybe there's a, probably it is a late April's Fool's joke. You think so? I don't think it is, because you, when you do a search, there are actually quite a lot of references to it um, on a lot of disparate sites. I mean, if it is or was... Someone's done it pretty well. Because <laughs> there's a MySpace page, and that's been up there since 2005, so they'd had to plan quite a long ahead to, <laughs> to, to do maybe, that. Maybe that's already their third turn round. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they just do it every year. But, <laughs> but the idea of this sort of level of deception and the fact... I mean, this raises a number of points. You know, obviously the first one being... Why Why couldn't they do it in their own tongue? If they were that good anyway, why did they have to pretend to be a different nationality? But Nick, we, we, we have this problem here, we, or we had this problem in Germany all the time because, you know, when you were a German producer or musician and you would go to a record company in Germany, you, they would go, ah, it's not going to, you know, it's like it, before the 90s, it was virtually impossible because people if you would try to do dance music or anything, if, if, if you were coming from Germany, there was no chance. That's why, um, do, you, do you guys know uh, an act called Snap? Yeah, 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 of course. They pretended to be Italian, didn't they? No, they, 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 when they released uh, The Power, they, uh, they actually put on the, they, they always used to be Ancelotti Münzing, and they already had a couple of hits, hits in Germany. But then they realized, oh, they could never make it you know, if they would release this record yet again as um, Ancelotti Münzing. So they decided to call themselves, um, one guy was the Italian name and the American, and they wrote on the sleeves, recorded in London, produced in London. And it went, and it went to uh, number one in, in the UK before it went to three or four in Germany and then it even became big in the US. So there was always this... The, this notion in Germany before that that oh you couldn't be a successful um, producer if you were from Germany. I don't know why they're not taken seriously. That's not so bad now. I mean, there's a lot of European. Oh, it's changed. Yeah, yeah, changed through through the success of Snap and the whole sort of Euro dance techno trance sort of thing that has sort of changed it. But before that, it, there, it was really very much so. Oh, I even have a, a, a credit on on the second album. Oh, cool. Rhythm as a dancer. Yeah, it, it says non-Eric, um, I think, um, Macintosh or Apple psychoanalyst or something. <laughs> really? Working for them in the studio at the time. Oh, cool. That was huge, that record there, wasn't it? Huge. Yeah, Do you still know the ones? Yes, very well. And then there's a really funny story about, especially about that track. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, sure. Because when they produced the second album, there was this track called Rhythm is a Dancer and, and Turbo B who didn't like it at all. And so um, they, 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 they only released it as a bonus track initially on their CD with the vocals. And because uh, when they produced it, they didn't think it would be properly released, 
they actually time-stretched it with something called the Topaz system from Steinberg, which was one, one of the really early hardest recording with real-time time-stretch. But it actually does distort the stereo picture of it. So it's, if you listen to it mono, it's really, really cr crazy sound. All right. And then when, when, when the first, um, I think, The Color of Love, the first single from the album, didn't work out so well, and everybody was pointing to that track and saying, hey, Rhythm is a Dancer, that would be a good uh, single, then they released it, even though they didn't really think it would be so massive. But a, Rhythm is a Dancer was their most massive track ever, even bigger than The Power. And, uh, and at the time, their, uh, their record company in the, in the UK... Um, I think it was, uh, who did they go? They went in Germany with BMG. Who was that in, in the UK? Do you know, Nick? I don't know. Was it Cool Tempo? No, no. It was a big, a big, big record company. I, d I don't they remember. Said, and they said, oh, you guys, we, this is too much German kind of style, you know. This will never be a big hit in the, in the UK. So they did a couple of, and, and they wouldn't want to release it. And only after pressure from Germany and from the Snap producers, they finally released it, got some couple of remixes done, you know, and it was the biggest selling 12-inch single of the year. Yeah, I remember. Hey. I still remember it. It was on MTV all the time. And, and, and imagine the record company saying, oh, this is never going to be big. We don't want to release it. It's, yeah, well, that's, that's, that happens, doesn't it? That does happen. Story, yeah. Yeah. Hans, could you do me a favor if you know them? And just punch them for me, please. <laughs> I was doing quite a lot of um, music for corporate companies at the time. And I have to say, the only tracks they wanted you to emulate were I've Got the Power, and the other one was obviously simply the best. And after about six months of doing this, I decided to leave the industry completely. <laughs> there was all of that stuff was going on, wasn't it? Because I remember when we did a, we did a, a cover of uh, Rondo Veneziana's Venice in Peril, uh, La Serenissima. And... Um, we we sort of mocked up this um, sort of fake Italian import and pretended that it'd come and we put it in a few specialist dance shops as sort of imports and that's that's how it got into the into the the consciousness. There was all sorts of stuff like that going on. Any other kind of big deceptions that you can think of? I don't know. Anybody? Uh, PJ, can you can you think of any other sort of large scale musical deception that? Uh, Ah, uh, Millie, Millie Vanilli. Yeah, <laughs> that came just to my mind just now. Yeah, Frank, Frank Farian. You know what? Girl, you know it's true. <laughs> Those poor lads, they suffered, didn't they, for their art? But Millie Vanilli, yeah. poor, I mean, Frank Farian is, well, Frank Farian, is he German as well? Yep. He was German. He's a big, I mean, big pop producer. Was he Boney M? Lots and lots of things. And in fact, the story of that, this was kind of going to follow on because my other question was, you know, like I was saying to PJ, are there any other great rock and roll swindles that you can think of? And uh, PJ was first in there with Millie Vanilli and they really, but they were sort of crucified for that. I mean, Frank Farian basically confessed that they, the guys didn't sing on any of their records and they had to give back their Grammy, which was, it must have been such a terribly embarrassing thing. And apparently um, shortly after that, Arista Records dropped the act and deleted their album from, and masters from their catalog. It was pretty harsh. And I, I, back in the 90s, I was doing um, some corporate gigs with a, with a band that was thrown together. And the bass player was um, formerly in Paula Abdul's band and was on the Club MTV tour uh, when Millie Vanilli were outed. And he said it was, uh, it was pretty brutal. I can imagine. I mean, too. I mean, they were just hired. You know, it's not their fault. I mean, Frank Farian should have been the guy who got all the stick for it because he put the thing together. One thing I wish I had. I remember. I remember back in about yeah, would have been nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety, walking into a Musicland store here in in uh, uh, Minneapolis, which is the same chain owned by Sam Goody, and um, they uh, had on their wall a VHS cassette, and it it. I can't remember the exact title, but it was something to the effect of Millie Vanilli, the inspiring story of their rise to fame. And then you read you read the back of the and this is before they were outed. And this is you read the back of the of, of the tape and the description is oh, these guys who have come up through adversity and obstacles to be multi platinum record selling stars and Grammy winning artists and how creative they are and 
I would have loved to have seen that documentary. I expect I'll show it soon. I can feel it coming out. You can probably get it on YouTube, can't you? I was going to say, what about the Did the KLF Invent Pete Doherty hoax? I've never heard that one. (laughs) Haven't you? No. Pete Uh, Doherty, of course, is a sort of bad boy of um, indie rock, isn't he, I suppose, in the UK? There There was a whole thread running around on the internet that KLF had basically created um, Pete Doherty and that the whole uh, baby shambles was all, all a complete hoax. Well, how did yeah. they well, created him as in kind of told him what to do? Or Yes. <laughs> it says, in a surprise press conference today, the man behind Doherty's career revealed themselves and admitted that the Libertines, baby shambles, the tales of drug use, the armed robberies, and the affair with supermodel Kate Moss have all been part of one of the largest hoaxes in British history. The men behind the scandal, Bill Drummond and Jimmy Courty, who were, the, who were themselves infamous pop stars under the name the KLF, apparently admitted how they had plucked a young body, Buddy Holly impersonator from obscurity and made him a star. And then it kind of goes on, and it's basically that's, that saying... sounds like a, an April The Fool's. KLF inv- invented, um, invented Pete Doherty. That does sound, when was that? April sometime? No, no, it wasn't. It was about around this time last year, actually. Uh-huh. But, I, but I actually think it's a reverse hoax to give <laughs> KLF publicity. Oh but, um, my! <laughs> well, one of the theories about this was that um, you know uh, there were there, there was various comments on the Guardian um, website about that was in the article for the uh, syllable, syllable, syllable and brains. Uh, story and they were saying basically you know there were people who were involved in labels at the time and they say i don't remember them being that big and they they kind of they've bigged it up a little bit but they're also pointing out that there is a book coming out that sort of chronicles these these two years and the whole rise of it which i think will be a big a big seller anyway but they're saying perhaps it's being bigged up a lot more than it actually was just to kind of flog the book which i suppose is is quite likely but it's just a great story um, of course, other famous ones. Rich, I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with that sort of thing. Of course, the Monkees didn't play on any of their records originally, did they? So I've been told. So, I don't know. <laughs> so the story goes. And of course, um, who can forget Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady? Everybody, <laughs> plainly. She didn't anybody, sing. No, no, not only don't I forget it, but can anybody else remember the name of the woman who actually sang the parts? No, I can't, actually. I'm pretty sure it was a lady named Marnie Nixon. Well, when you hear Audrey Hepburn sing, uh, you can understand why. She sounded like a donkey, frankly. <laughs> oh, poor Audrey. Well, you know, she today, was, uh, she, not, I'm not saying she wasn't a today, babe. She just couldn't sing. Today she'd be a pop star. Yeah. Today we'd auto-tune her. We can fix that. <laughs> I suppose more and more of this stuff actually is going along. It's just a question of um, you can fix it in the, in the mix to a degree, can't you? I mean, if somebody can't... It, you know, phrase properly, then it's a bit more tricky. But if they can phrase well and can't pitch, then we can fix it to a degree. But uh, uh-uh. don't need the phrasing either. Oh, all right then. <laughs> what do they need uh-huh. to do? They just need to be able to breathe, more or less, and speak a language effectively <laughs> enough <laughs> to get the lyrics <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, oh! Talking about the which, can I throw in my top tip for the week? Oh, why not? This is fantastic. It's a, a little discovery that I've made. Um. When I listen back to the podcasts to make sure I hadn't said anything childish or weird, <laughs> I, put, I download them and I load them into QuickTime. Okay. Now, if you open the, I think it's the AV controls window, right. you have control over on MP3s over the pitch and the playback speed, which is a very crude kind of time stretch. Now, if you speed it up to three times the speed, and listen back to spoken material, it sounds like a brand new language. It's the weirdest thing. You can, I can make out that that person talking is Nick Bat or that the Dave Spears is speaking or PJ or Rich or whoever, right? But you can't work out what you're saying. It's just the syllables kind of get blurred into this new language. You've got to try this. It's, re- it's really cool, and I'm going to use it on something, probably, at some oh, point. Oh, well, no, that's worth a try. Thank you. I didn't know that about that time stretch, and you can go up to three times, but not very intelligibly. Not intelligibly at all. It just sounds like the weird... It sounds like alien talk. It's really cool. But you can run it a little bit faster and get... To, so I can listen to a 50-minute podcast in maybe 35 minutes and go through it quite quickly. <laughs> Is there anything I should know about that I need to watch out for? I know I used to say, um, I'm struck. I say that a lot. I know that much. 
No, that's interesting. That's another one that I was conscious of saying a lot. Oh, yeah. No, you've stopped saying that, I think. I know. I've taught myself. No, no sorry. Hang on. Maybe you've just got better at editing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to have heard this in reverse, though. I would like to have heard American guys trying to pretend to be English rock people. Do you think there might have been that happening at the time when Proclaimers were having their massive hit, you know, and that Syllable and Brains were on, uh, it says in, their, you know, in, the, in the interview, that they had actually been on the, the Billy Connolly show uh, and pretended to, and done their Scottish accents, and everybody was amazed at how great they were. <laughs> <laughs> the guy Syllable has a YouTube channel, and there's an interview on there, which I haven't listened to. But Ah, well, send us the link and we'll if have a look at that. Yeah, if you want to find some of the music, there's... It's on there. I think it's just, an inter- it's just an interview with them, I think. Ah, I couldn't find it. Okay, well, thanks, because uh, I wanted to put that... If I do, I'll, I'll put that in. Uh, as you can see by the list of topics this week, I was a bit light on things that I could find, and uh, I must admit, it was a bit, it's a bit of a light news week, or at least inspiration for this week's podcast, so I do apologise in advance, but I think we're, we're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. I did, have, I did have something to say about these Scottish guys. Oh, yeah, um, please do. Yeah. Well, what interested me, being a guy who's interested in language and accents in general, was that it would have been to hear these Scottish guys' version of an American accent. Sometimes I'm surprised, but then I spent, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks working with a, a Scottish band, and uh, they swore they were trying to speak more clearly for our benefit and more slowly, and we couldn't understand a word <laughs> they saying. So the notion that these guys would show up and do an American accent, I just ha- I have to hear that. It probably is ridiculous as me doing a Scottish accent. Well, apparently they toured with Eminem and everything. You know, they well they fooled a bunch of people. I mean, whether or not they they made it big enough to fool enough people, we'll we'll never find out because they split up before any kind of meaningful um, records were released, and they the, the public didn't really get a chance to decide. But they must have fooled a bunch. I mean, they obviously had quite a lot of front to be able to pull it off. That's that's one thing that you can say. They're like the Frank Abagnales of, of pop music. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a, a virus um, out there which apparently um, is masquerading as a codec to have to play back media files. And uh, this is from uh, PC Pro. .co.uk. Uh, the software pretends to be an ordinary media download, such as the recent St. Trinian's remake or a Girls Aloud song for some reason. Uh, however, once activated, the software asks the user to download a codec and play the supposed media file. Once run, a bundle of adware is installed, bombarding the user with pop-ups. Um, McAfee claims the, the malware is, is being distributed across the eDonkey and LimeWire file-sharing networks, and it's the largest outbreak. It's cu- it's, it, cu- um, it infected 500,000 computers in seven days, so it's quite a big deal. So, um, it, obviously, people are targeting file-sharers and particular people who are looking for free music and songs. So if you're out there... And you're having that trouble. We know what you've been up to. Ah. <laughs> Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pub and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. Uh, Hans, you must know these people. Schneider's Burero, being in the same city. Yes, not only the same, I had the pleasure to meet André in uh, Frankfurt. He's a great guy. I'm just going to play this. There's a new documentary in the making all about Schneider's Burero, and there are, it's packed with synthesizer legends. It's my favourite shop in the world. It's dangerous. One super freak. Crazy. It's not a normal store. I want to make noise. Lots of noise. All kinds of noises. Every kind of noise. Possible. A few clips of the talking heads there from the totally wired um, documentary about Schneider's Buero in uh, Berlin. Um, I don't know if you spotted, the first voice you heard there was Daniel Miller. And the last one, of course, was Mr. Ken Macbeth. Nice quote there. Nice to see him on his best behaviour in front of the camera, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Hans, you live in Berlin. They are in Berlin. Explain. Uh, I haven't been there. <laughs> no way, man. How is that possible? Yeah, no, because I met him. I met uh, Mr. Schneider at Frankfurt, and um, and he was so talkative and so enthusiastic. Actually, it could be a wise to actually, you know, uh, go there and ask him to do a sh- you know, a podcast every month, you know, Snyder's thoughts or whatever. I think that would be very smart. He's, he is, I, I imagine tying him down to a regular schedule might be a bit tricky because he's so, he's just so quick to kind of change direction. He's, he's an amazing guy, but this is, um, this is supposed to be a fabulous shop in Berlin, but I don't know anything about it. Anyone else been there? No, I wish I had. It does sound like a like a real treasure trove. There's not actually that much information in the trailer. I th- I think the documentary's still in making because I know they contacted us because they wanted some footage from various super booths that we've we've taken over the years. Um, for those of you who perhaps don't make the connection, if you've watched any Sonic State super booth footage, which is from the maybe the past five or six music messes that we've been v- shooting video at, he's the crazy large-handed German proprietor of the Superbooth, which is the sort of collection of all the analogue um, synths and inventors. And it's it's really interesting because he's kind of the antithesis, in many cases, of the inventors of the equipment. So you've got Andreas, who is this amazing human dynamic ball of energy and really upfront and kind of uh, very confident. And then he'll introduce you to um, somebody who's looking at their feet and can't you look you in the eye and is telling you about the properties of their latest filter. Uh, <laughs> and it's a really strange contrast. But, I mean, I guess they need somebody like him. Yeah. Yeah, but Nick, uh, this year's Frankfurt, it wasn't the Super Booth. No, it wasn't. Actually, it was actually, uh, he, he told me that um, there wasn't supposed to be one and then suddenly uh, synthesized the magazine. Yes, they did. We shot a piece with them, actually. And we shot a piece with uh, Andreas, who was, uh, he was walking around with his flight case that he had full of books because um, he's also done a book about the um, about Schneider's Boero, the uh, the synthesizer shop, and all the people that he represents. But I think we should visit. In fact, Hans, based in because you're based in Berlin, I want to see. This is what I want to see on your show. I want to see a video tour of his sweet shop of all his stuff. Go and see him and film it. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. Put on my schedule, yeah. Brilliant. Are there any other stores? I mean, PJ and Rich in the U- or anywhere. They are very few and far between. Um, are there any in the US that you've visited that are kind of places where you can buy this kind of strange um, boutique kind of electronic stuff? Uh, no shops that I can think of. I've been to places where there have been a stunning array of gear, but they weren't retail shops. They were private collections or studios or things like that. Sure. I guess we've got, um, there's Analog Haven in uh, Pomona, California, which uh, is the closest I can think of. I've not been there, but it's, they, they distribute. Yeah, I've heard uh, of it. They distribute a lot of kind of the European synth makers and, and the US boutique guys. PJ, how about you? Anywhere in, in, in Minneapolis or anywhere you've been that's kind of like that? Uh, no retail stuff, just some private collections, private studios around the, around the city that people that have stunning arrays of gear. Uh, I can think of uh, Prince's former keyboard player, Matt Fink. Um, has uh, an amazing collection of synthesizers. Okay. It's it's funny that, though, isn't it? I mean, Dave, do, do you remember? I mean, because I remember when even when we had more music stores, there wasn't really many places you could go and see this stuff. I mean, I suppose there would have been, um, oh, what was that place in Wardour Street in uh, in Soho in London? There was a place up there, wasn't it, that Rod Argent's used to have a bit of that stuff. But can you think of anywhere that you could go for these this kind of uh, electronics fix? Up until recently, uh, probably a year or so ago, Turnkey had a reasonable kind of selection of stuff. Um, but actually, bizarrely enough, um, RL Music, Richard Lawson, he's about half a mile from my place. Although it's not a shop, but you can ring him and arrange to go and see stuff. And he's literally just up the road from me. Ah. Less, than, less than half a mile away, so I've always got access to uh, some pretty, pretty very cool stuff. Excellent. There's a place called Emis, uh, which is uh, just outside of Bristol, which I haven't got to visit. We we've been meaning to go there and do a little tour. Mark, have you? Is there any kind of place that you can think of where that you've been on your touring? Analog synth. Well, just yeah, um, a place that a kind of a good old fashioned kind of music store with this kind of stuff in it. It seems like a real rarity, which is presumably why um, they've made this documentary. I think not. No. Hmm. Okay, so the biggest analogue modular system I've ever seen was the System 100M, which was in Lily Yard Studios in London, which belonged to Hans Zimmer. Ah, okay. The back end of Fulham somewhere, that was the entire entrance 
hall and one entire wall of the studio of wow. different uh, modular synth components. I don't think it's there anymore. The, the most famous uh, synthesizer store of all times in Germany was actually Synthesizer Studio Bonn. We were in Bonn, based in Bonn. So Mutton and Vicious. Mutton was one guy and Vicious was the other guy. So there were actually two guys and they had You know, the one store in Germany at the beginning of the 80s, and they would carry everything, like Emulator One, uh, Fairlight, all the Oberheim system, everything. It was unbelievable. They even allowed us to record a, um, a one track of my first album in the store on Wednesdays when it was closed, because they also had an eight-track uh, studio built in there as well. Wow, fantastic. And it was the first time I heard the DX7. And Martin went to me and said, hey, listen to this, it's just got in new DX7. And I listened to it and I go, oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were kind of right, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when, it, when, it fir when it first arrived, obviously the DX7 was used for those, it was all about electric pianos and, and organs, yeah. wasn't it? And log drums and marimbas. Tubular bells. Anyway, um, I don't know when it's coming out. There's absolutely no information about where you can watch the full thing, when it's going to be available, and how you're going to get hold of it. So um, this is kind of like a taster. Maybe if enough people watch it, they'll finish making it. Or you know, I don't quite know what the deal is there, but uh, worth having a look at. Well, there was another question that I tagged on to the end of this, which was uh, has been in in the show notes for a little while yet, and it started life as what was the last hardware synth you bought, and uh, and also. Uh, If you did, haven't bought one for a long time, what was the last one you sold? Uh, last one I bought, Hardware Synth Nord Modular. Dave Spears? Uh, I didn't buy one, I haven't sold one, but I did black a, uh, what's it called, a Ramona Performer, if my memory serves me correctly. Oh yes, that was for me, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was, I'm looking at it now. Which is quite nice, actually. Amazing build quality, I can't believe it, They, people could learn a thing or two from Ramona's build quality, it... Yeah, I was going to say, it's not particularly inspiring as a synth, but it looks the much nuts, and it actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Mark Tinley, what about you? I'm thinking really hard, because it was a very, very long time ago. I think it has to be a Nord Modular. I mean, if I don't count all the toy things I've bought since then, like Casio SK-1s, and I've bought lots of circuit-bent Casio SK-1s from various different people and made some myself. But um, the last proper hardware synth I bought was a Nord Modular. So Nord score um, two out of three. Two, That's not bad, yeah. is it? Rich Hilton, what about yourself? I've been racking my brains because it was a long time ago. It was either a JP8000 Roland or a JD800 Roland. Those That's the been, last one you bought. I, those were probably the last two that I bought, and uh, I've sold a lot of them in, in the last five years. I, I completely divested myself of analog synth or or synthesizer hardware basically in my studio at this point there's like two of them or maybe three you know so right um i've sold a lot of them and i can't remember what the last one i've still got some of mine upstairs and i'm wondering what to do whether to sell them or not because uh the the one that i've got to sell is also the last one i bought so uh, the last um, one i bought was a jp6 I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for a long hallway full of doors that need to be held open <laughs> you've got a real jp6 for sale have you I've got a real JP6, yeah. Is it in good condition? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I don't how know if much I'm... Is, how much I have no idea. I, this, is, this is a bit... I, <laughs> I'm wondering whether to sell it or not. Are you making me an offer live on air, Mark? I just think Nick would be interested in it because he's got a JP4 and a JP8 and every so often we get JP6s and go, hmm, this is quite good. Maybe we should have one. So I, if you're interested in selling it, I should talk to him about it. But okay. he'll probably drive you down to a bargain price. Well, sod him. I'm not going to sell it then. <laughs> I'll put it on eBay. <laughs> PJ, how about you? What was the last one that you bought? I guess technically the last um, hardware synth I bought is also the last hardware synth I sold, and that was the Roland SP808. So Roland get three and Nord get two. I want the D50. Yeah, I have a D50. Really? Why do you want a D50? Are you going to model it in software? No, no. I just want one. Those so strings, like those Arco strings are great. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I quite like a D50 modelled in software that I could put my own samples in. That would be good. 
we've all sold synths and well we haven't bought a synth for long a long time do you can you see any foresee any any time where you would actually buy a synth i mean quite, i'm one thing that i'm quite keen on and i've seen um a couple of these things is the harvestman modules because they do a polyvox filter module and some really sort of bonkers distortion weird stuff and i'm sort of thinking that maybe a little modular system might uh, might might be the way to go and just kind of buy some of these little boutique things can does that sort of thing appeal to anyone or are you strictly software i want one of john bowen's synths yes 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 the solaris well i I, um i played uh the um mook little fatty in the torment store which was really fun Mm mm-hmm and then I was playing around with the Dupfer system, and that got me kind of interested because it was really sort of really, really fun patching together weird stuff, and they've got this vast amount of modules. Oh, I mean, so many. Yeah, wasp fil- filters, everything. So I'd be tempted to get, if I was tempted to buy anything, I'd probably be tempted in buying a modular system, probably a Duffer because of the sheer amount of uh, available modules. Well, the Duffer the modular system is also kind of, a lot of people have adapted that kind of module format as well, which is like Harvestman certainly have. So you could kind of, you could enhance it with all sorts of weird stuff. I could just keep going forever. I'd like, <laughs> I'd like John Bowen's. I'd quite like a Profit 08. Uh, I'd certainly like my D50. Uh, oh, Synthesizers.com. I'd quite like one of their humongous modular units. Um, but I don't think I'd be allowed any of them in the house until something else went. I've been reviewing a, a Access Virus Snow TI recently, and I've never had a virus before um, in synthesizer form. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. That is kind of pretty impressive stuff, I have to say. I mean, it's it's mm. sort of a bit lazy because it's got so much. St- it's 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 a bit like a super duper Roland JV ten eighty. You know, it's just got all the effects and all these really glossy sounds. But it's really quite tweakable as well. And they sound a lot of their sounds will sit quite happily in a mix and with each other. So that's I'm quite enjoying that. The real problem with everything concerned with that subject is how am I going to trigger these synths? Am I going to use MIDI? Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, play it badly and edit it afterwards. Play it badly and edit it, yeah. (laughs) I'm actually, right now I'm looking at a Lindrum LM2 from Berlin. I'm almost tempted. I'm I'm a drum machine collector, as you guys know. Yeah, well, the the LM2, wasn't that the... um did that was that the orange and black one with all the sliders yeah. on? Yeah, 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 that's the one. Mm, they did look nice. I, I tell you what, I like the sequential circuits one as well. The drum was it drum tracks? Yeah, that was nice. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're, I'm, I'm, we could go on like this forever. Maybe we should, um, we should talk about something concrete like the Digidesign Transfuser Looper thingy plugin. This is like a new plugin that's supposed to kind of. Well, it looks a bit like a kind of Ableton-y, groovy Looper type thing that works inside of Pro Tools. I know, um, Mark, you were having a look at it, and I know maybe, non-Eric, you've had a chance to check out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we managed today, after lots and lots of trouble, to actually, uh, you know, I had to buy an iLock. I had to get an iLock account. And then it, somehow we didn't get the iLock license, so I spent about two hours trying to sort that out. But eventually, um, it's come up on screen now. Um, but it looks, wow, I mean, there's so many options. It's like just kills you. I mean, it's like... It uh, does look very busy from what I could gather. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, the sheer amount of possibilities. The, I mean, the bullet points are easily, it's supposed to easily develop and tweak grooves on the fly within Pro Tools. Real-time slicing and tagging of loops, automatic conversion of loops into MIDI patterns and drum kits, sound replacement in existing loops on the fly, musically intelligent randomization of loops, instantly crafting variations on a whim, wide range of real-time effects, uh, blah, 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 blah. It, it looks like it's going to do a lot. Is it another one of the Air um, Guy instruments? Yes. Ah. Yes, yes. yes. That, all those features. Uh, I talked to a guy from Digital Design yesterday, and he told me, uh, yeah, it's basically all the features we couldn't squeeze into structure (laughs) (laughs) so we made another product out of it right it looks like they have i think there's room to make four products out of this one too rich you're a pro tools guy can you see yourself using something like this well yeah i spent a few hours with this thing the other night and uh i found it really a lot of fun and interesting it does have a myriad of possibilities and i would need to spend a lot more time with it and 
related the the interface is consistent with structure in terms of the design of the interface and kind of the way you navigate it um you know whether if that's what you like i i kind of wish i could make the whole thing bigger kind of like contact lets you do where you can just like fill up a nice big screen with it because i'd really like to open it up and see see more and if i remember correctly i couldn't figure a way to do that but uh it it's a little bit like stylus rmxy at times and it's a little bit like the new drum racks in ableton a little bit it, it represents some of that kind of feature and um and it does look a little bit like reason in some ways because it's a rack kind of an arrangement that you kind of sliding up and down as you drag things uh -huh. out um the this the material they provided for demo was real good it was fun to play with i had a nice time with it and i uh don't do i don't know how much of what i do relates to using devices like this but i'd kind of look forward to an opportunity to use it on a project do you think there's a danger of kind of with this sort of thing when you've got a whole new interface and stuff to learn does there come a point at which you kind of you have to think, I've got to cut my losses. I can't afford the time to learn this kind of stuff. I mean, in a professional environment, I mean, what, at what point does that sort of become an issue? I'm hoping not until I'm about 85 years old. <laughs> <laughs> On the left, there's a browser of, of source material. And you just drag a thing over to the right there, and it loads it into the main window. And if you hit play, it's playing, and it's usually pretty interesting. So there is an instant gratification factor, but the thing also goes deep, which I think is sort of the definition of a successful musical instrument electronic product is that you can get something out of it quickly. And then for the next, you know, years, you're still finding new things to do with it and intriguing ways to use it. Do you think, um, Dave Spears, I mean, you know, you, you're a Starless RMX user. Is there room in your, you know, is, what do you reach for when you've got to come up with a groove and a rhythm track? I mean, is this something that you think would work for you? I'm oh, sorry, Nick. I was on the RL music site looking at a Moog System 55. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I blame you. Uh, and there's also a um, CS60 for sale in Bristol. That's something that my appetite. Yeah, mm. only 1,500 quid. Um, it depends what I'm doing. If somebody wants a you know specific drum groove, then I'll create that out of something like BFD uh, or um, Stylus RMX is always my go-to thing for doing demos and stuff purely because time restraints really and the sales are so good um, to be honest I don't know enough about this other than I like the air guys and everything they do seems pretty cool and I will check it out I want to know about this input synth module it says the input synth module passes audio from the track input on which transfuser is inserted. When transfuser is inserted on an audio track, it can process any audio played back on that track as well. Now that sounds very interesting hmm. because then it becomes a plugin that can do uh, that can process audio. Yeah, yeah. But it's a synthesizer as well. And that's, I mean, I started off as a synth programmer and that I've become a sound engineer. If I can now sound engineer my audio with synthesizers, then I have a deeper understanding of synthesizers than I do of EQs and compressors and all that sort of stuff. Sure. And that's, that makes it very interesting for me because it's like, well, hang on a minute. If, you know, if I can turn Pro Tools into a huge, great big synth, then that could, you know, it could create some cool stuff but i want to know how well that works or what exactly that does well you do gonna... i have to buy an, do i have to buy an iLock to, to get the demo of this thing i think it does run on iLock yeah unfortunately which of course pj um you're not a pro tools user and um do you find that you know your chosen environment limits you do you do you kind of wish for other ways of looking at things or are you quite happy to kind of uh, to to work with what you have no <laughs> I mean, Pro Tools is definitely an option for me if I want to go out. I mean, I could I could get into a Pro Tools system again for about two hundred fifty dollars. Sure. But I use um, Cubase as my main DAW, as I've said in the past. Ableton Live quite a bit. I'm still on version six. I haven't upgraded yet. And Reason Four. And between those three programs, I, I think between about a one thousandth of what each one of those programs can accomplish in and of itself, there is possibilities to last my lifetime and yet i still buy software there was some great stuff over on create digital music um some uh, ableton 7 demos of, of using follow-on and this kind of really 
just incredibly complex random stuff and i was just looking at it thinking wow that is just really deep i'll put a link in the show notes about that you want to check that out it's kind of quite amazing i mean there's so many i mean within those environments reason alone is a is a great program for creating beats but you know inside of both ableton and cubase uh you you can use contact i also use stylus rmx i have bfd and the tune tune track uh custom and vintage products which are uh they're fa- they're discontinued now because they're going to release um, what is it Superior Drummer 2.0 is coming out this month. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though that we're way 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 beyond that whole thing of years ago where it's you know oh, if I had one of those I could do and now that just doesn't apply anymore, does it? Right. Um, well, this brings us on to my last subject, which um, is purely um, flippant and quite good fun. I was just looking on uh, YouTube the other day looking for some Disney princessy things for for my daughter and i happened to come across um somebody making instruments out of vegetables and um there's really no no other reason for it otherwise other than it made me laugh and it also means i can play a clip that i think you'll enjoy as well uh, later on um there's a chap called um Haita 3 who i'm guessing is uh i think he's either japanese or korean i'm not totally sure and he makes um, carrot pan pipes and okinaras out of uh, amusing vegetables. And as I kept looking, um, I also saw there was a vegetable orchestra. And this one is actually, I only found this today. This is quite, um, quite involved. primitive as i think you'll agree but um that was just all vegetables hit and slapped and blown and shaken and scrunched and what have you and there, there seems to be tons of it and all this sort of thing was sort of homemade instruments and i was just looking around and i just wondered if anyone else had found anything that tickled their fancy on youtube that's was homemade i like Quite the a- entertainment factor yes pj we haven't heard much from you Vegetable instruments. Can you see perhaps pitching, pitching for a job and talking, talking the ad executives into, I'm going to do the whole thing out of vegetables? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I got out the paring knife this morning. It always amazes me, the creativity and the human spirit. You know, somebody, a musician is sitting in his kitchen making a salad, and the next thing you know, he's... Uh, <laughs> next uh, <laughs> Zelda Wind Waker uh, theme. Rich, what yeah. about you? You ever done any... Um, Done any vegetable recording? I'm afraid I have not. I can't believe that. A man of your experience in the recording studio have not recorded a vegetable. No, I, I wonder if they keep and transport well. Like, mm. What does that, what does yeah. that carrot pan flute look like two weeks later? Yeah, perhaps not so hot. It's very much of the moment, isn't it? I think it's time to break out the time-lapse photography. I think there must be a there must be a two-hour whittling session before every performance, yes? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. A lot of preparation. On the front stoop at the venue, carving their their instruments for the evening. <laughs> I hope they compost. Mark Tinley, I'm. I have a feeling you might have. I haven't. <laughs> I found it very amusing, though. I can't work out how he could have played uh, if they'd created a vegetable orchestra. If he'd taken the carrot and the what was the bigger thing? He big that huge Some sort of radish. Kind yeah, of sort thing. of yeah. giant radish. They were in completely different musical keys. He hadn't thought this out very well. I did like the broccoli, though. I Bro- thought that was cool. Broccoli Okinara was very nice, yeah. I, and tasty, <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never understand. I'll tell, I'll tell you what, what, Dave. I've recorded with a fair few vegetables. Hey, Padilla. Oh. Where's that big red button when you need it? <laughs> my favorite was uh the, I've, I've made this little flintstones compilation and i think you'll enjoy this one this was uh, by a chap called tyler stewart who's made a big pvc pipe thing that he hits with sort of foam bats and then after that there's a chap called uh christoph from austria who um can play the same tune just with his hands that's perfect.
<laughs> I wish I could do that. That is a party trick. I mean, my daughter would just love that. I'm going to... I wonder if they do... He, he does classes. I might actually fly to Austria so he could teach me how to play in that style. I can do a little bit of it, but... I got fascinated with this, this whole hand thing. Did you? Have you and seen... I found... No, but I've, I'd never seen it before, and I thought that can't possibly be real. He's just making noises with his mouth. And I followed a few links around YouTube, watching various different people do it, and I've ended up on a website called handini.com, and it's this chap called David, who is, seems to be, uh, you know, very famous for this hand-playing thing. Right. <laughs> so you have to visit handini.com. This guy, Handini, has ringtones. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> that's that is a ringtone. I'd lo- I'd like to hear this guy be- do the baseline to Good Times. I think you should maybe get him over to do a session. I'll record him doing the baseline. There you go. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. Gosh, which microphone should I use? I would go for the. Co- I would use a Coles with a pop shield. Ah, oh, you're going with the ribbon, are you? Yeah, I'd go for a ribbon. Ah. I think it's the only way. Well, guys. I think we will. I, I can't see that we could have got any further away from music technology if we tried. We've d- gone from vegetables to just handmade music. And I'm sorry for taking you on this journey, but it was a slow week. Um, but thank you ever so much for joining us. I know your time is precious, and I hope, um, I hope you've still got some, some of it left in the day to do something meaningful with. Non-Eric, I know you're very busy. Um, you can obviously um, get, now get on with your proper job. Thank you very much for joining us. That's Non-Eric from musotalk.de. You're welcome. Uh, where you can go and see fabulous podcasts and hopefully something on Transfuser and maybe, if we can talk him into it, the Schneider's Buero Analog Sweet Shop. Uh, Mr. Dave Spears from g4software.com, uh, makers of fine musical instruments. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And coming on this musical journey with me also, Mr. Mark Tinley from Cambridgeshire. Mr. Lord, sorry, I do beg your pardon. He's going to have me beheaded now. <laughs> you've, done, you've done that just so you could say that gag, that is, and that was well worth it, I have to say. <laughs> it was well worth every penny of the £5.75. It cost me to upgrade Thank you, my stage. Lord Mark of Tinley Wharton. <laughs> you're very welcome uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut thank you and uh, have a great day over there stateside thank you very much had a great time uh, Mr. Mark Tinley of, of course myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley Mr. Rich Hilton myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius and PJ back from your honeymoon I hope you have a wonderful weekend and the rest of the week and the rest of a married life thank you for joining us too oh, well thank you it was my pleasure okay I, this guy <laughs> Okay, once again, we'd be happy to hear your feedback. And if you've got any music that you think relates to any of the stuff that we've been talking about, send it in and we'll um, spread it around the gang and maybe we'll feature it in a future episode. If you want to leave feedback, uh, remember you just email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. You can um, send us text or an MP3 if you feel like it. Uh, we also have a Skype handle where there is uh, an answer phone continually on 24-7, and that is Sonic Talk, and that's the Skype handle. And we've also got a US Skype in number, which links through to the same answer phone, and that's uh, a US number, 312-376-8089. That's 312-376-8089. Thanks for listening.